0: You're listening to Midweek in the Word, Sunday Recap. So anyway, let's get into it. Let's uh, recap Sunday a little bit. Um, great message. Hard message.
1: Just a bit. I'm Just sure bit. you're
0: you're glad to, to be through this portion of Corinthians.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, you know, on the, on the one hand, the fact of the matter is with 1 Corinthians, every time you get through a hard one, there's another hard one coming up. You know, it's kind of yeah. that whole football thing, next man mm-hmm. up, you know, sort of a thing. Like, there's always another one that's going to be a little tricky. Uh, but, yeah, in, in fairness, this one took a tremendous amount of effort and work to put together. Um, it's, it's good to have delivered it. It's good to have, um, I mean, for the body to have received it as well as they did. And uh, I think it was a good week all in all. So I'm, I'm really appreciative for the faithfulness of God in this situation. And uh, it's on to the next text.
0: In my opinion, when I sat there Sunday, I thought you just handled the message with such grace and uh, understanding. And um, we usually do, at this part of the podcast, we usually do give me five more minutes, mm-hmm. but. For the kids out there that were counting Sunday, you definitely gave us five more minutes.
1: I took all of my time and a little bit more. (laughs) And uh, listeners probably didn't notice that uh, Troy was extremely gracious. You wouldn't have known it. He actually cut a song (laughs) out of the worship (laughs) order because I was so long in my message. Uh, Don't typically preach for 50 minutes, but uh, it took a little extra to get it it clear this week. Yeah,
0: my daughter, she's six and she was watching. There's a countdown in the back that kind of helps with just keep on time and everything. And she goes, what's that line for? (laughs) But that's good. You know, sometimes you can't rush through texts like this, and I know you even commented there was probably 30 hours that didn't make the message. You you spent a lot of time, and and as um, someone who sits in the body every Sunday, we appreciate your diligence Mm -hmm. to God's Word and your seriousness of God's Word. Mm -hmm. So with that, we're not going to do five more minutes, but But, help us expound and walk through the application side of what you preached on Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, you said we glorify God by maintaining the dignity of gender distinctions and gender dependence in the church. Why is that important? Cuz culturally right now we are in a we're in a war for gender identity, so yeah. to speak for black, lack of better term.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit of a contentious issue and and that's part of the reason we spent so much time kind of building up the argument, you know, walking through first understanding what headship is all about, what you know, what God has planned there for headship and authority, both within the church and within the family. And we we see that broader principle applied across other venues as well. But then really focusing in on what Paul is on about in this text is he's really talking about gender. He's really talking about these distinct roles that men and women have in the church, these distinct roles that men Mm -hmm. and women have in the family. And and there is value, there is um, dignity, in both the distinctions and also the dependence, you know, there's an incredible image that God has built into creation um, that allows us to glorify Him through our interdependence and through our individual, you know, contributions. Um, I love a text that I tend to go to on things like this is. Genesis 1, through 28, right? We yeah. read from Genesis 2 and this idea of, you know, God creating man and woman. But I, I love what we see in Genesis 1 as well um, in this narrative. Verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, right? So make mankind in our image. Then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then it goes on to explain male and female, he created them, right? And so he created man and woman to rule over and have dominion over creation to bear God's image, to reflect God's glory across the face of the earth, right? Then he goes on and gives them command and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I just love the image there in Genesis 1 of God saying, I'm going to create mankind to reflect my image and with a purpose in creation. Um, And by the way, I'm going to create two of them you know, right, to to in some way reflect some of the dynamics we see in the Trinity and that relationship. You know, in Genesis 2, he's going to say, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper that's suitable to him. I need these two to reflect my image, both having the same value, the same dignity, the same authority over creation to reflect God's image in that respect, but distinct in their values, right? You know, in, in Matthew 19, Paul refers back to this text, or not Paul, excuse me, Christ refers back to this text and he's, he's addressing the issue of divorce and what's going on there. And he basically holds up this model of man and woman. Like, have you not heard from the beginning that God created them male and female? There was a value, there was a unique dignity and reflection of God's image that he intended for each of the genders to hold. And so that means as individuals, we really have to guard against blurring these lines. We have to guard against making everyone unisex, if Mm -hmm. you will. You know, everybody looks the same, everyone acts the same. Well, aside from the fact that that's simply not true, and no matter what you say, no matter what sort of way you refer to people, everyone's going to intuitively have a sense Man or woman, right? We're going to talk about, you know, that sort of idea. We're going to talk in those terms. We're going to assume certain things like that. And so to, to blur that and to say both genders are exactly the same is really to deviate from God's good design. You know, and I'm going to stress that, like there's a value, there's a reason he created both genders and what's going on there. But also we want to guard against not just blurring these lines and making them all the same. We also want to guard against any form of sexism right? When, when sure. we're talking about this text in 1 Corinthians 11, we're not talking about a distinction in value. We're not talking about a distinction in essence. We're not talking about a distinction in dignity or ability or spiritual gifting when we go into that in 1 Corinthians 12, right? We are talking about a unique role. Mm-hmm. Like, And, and trying to help people understand that that unique role is actually a divine gift, right? It really is a divine gift from God where he's like, This is how I want you as men to reflect my glory. This is how I want you as women to reflect my glory. There are things that only men can do. And there are things that only women can do. And there's value and there's uniqueness and there's incredible realities in both of those. And so any form of sexism that would seek to say, well, the role that men have is better than the role that women have. Is absolutely wrong. And any role or any argument that would say, well, the role of women is better than the role of men. That's not the point. It's not a it's not a qualitative distinction. It is a unique role, a unique authority. And so we want to guard against both of those extremes and shoot, shoot for going right down the middle line. And we want to do that in the family, but we also want to do that in the church in this broader context where it's like, as a church, we want to guard against either downplaying the unique contributions of each gender or minimizing the legitimate gender contributions. Or excuse me, we want to guard against downplaying the gender roles, but also guard against minimizing the legitimate gender contributions. You know, and so in the, as as we function as a church, what we want to do is we want to uphold both of these. That there is there's a value in the church of of having both men and women. You know, I said it on Sunday, right? Like our church would not be better off if it was all men. Our church would not be better off if it was all women. Now, there's, there's a tendency to think that way, right? Like there's there's times when you're like, I'm sure both genders feel like if it was just all men, we would all agree on more and we would get along better, right? Or if it was just all right. women, we would all agree on the right way to do church and we yeah. would get along better. Yeah. You know, and so we kind of segregate ourselves. Well, that is not at all what what Paul is advocating here. It's not all at all what God designed. Not, imagine male and female, women go to this side of the planet, men go to yeah. that side of the planet. Yeah. That's not at all what he had in mind. No. And that's not what he has in mind in First Corinthians. Right. You know, this sort of idea of, of kind of figuring that out in that respect. But at the same time, there are incredible, legitimate contributions that both genders have to make to the church. You know, I mean, there's ministries that I could not do that women do in our church every day. Like there are people that they can minister to and ways that they can minister and ways they can encourage people and activities they can engage in that I could never in a million years do. Right, and there are things that the men in the church can engage in and can yeah. ac- and accomplish, and things like that that the women can't do. And sometimes we get very laser focused in on well, there's that thing I can't do.
0: Yeah, and you, I think one of the th- last kind of points that you made was we glorify God by peacefully submitting to God's design for families in the church, yeah. and that's kind of what you just said. It's yeah. Operating within the gift of the gender that God has designed us to be, I I think how off balance is, would the family and church be when we don't focus? I like what you said. We focus so much on what we can't do as a woman or can't do as a man. how, How is that affecting us looking at a ministry or a gospel opportunity or shepherding our children or friends or what have you if you're not focused on who God made you to be?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. All of a sudden you find yourself playing in a wheelhouse where you're trying to compensate in some ways um, for, for something that you weren't designed to do. You know, it's it's again the illustration we used at the end of the sermon, the idea of like you got two kinds of cars, right? Yeah, you got that was normal... great. I did not see that coming. I thought... I, yeah, I, I worked a little bit on that one because I wanted to draw people into it, and I wanted people to, I wanted the turn to be kind of surprising for it, people, it and that was. was the whole idea, right? Right, because yeah. a combustion engine does not operate on the same principles as an electric engine. Right, and so it's like we we're sure we understand based upon our experience the way a combustion engine works, mm-hmm. missing altogether the fact that God has designed it as an electric engine. And we've no. done the
0: steps, right? We we took it took you said took it to the man <laughs> took it to the mechanic, who called the manufacturer, who did all these you things. Know. Why is this not working? Right, what was applying something that wasn't applicable.
1: Yeah, it's like oh, what if you from the beginning had just looked at the manufacturer's blueprints? Yeah, and in many ways that's what Scripture gives us, right? If, if we accept the idea that God created everything, he created the universe, he created the world, he created society, he created the church, he created the family, he created the genders. Like he did this on purpose, back to Genesis 1:26 and 27. He created this on purpose. He's the designer. He has the blueprint. He's revealed to us through the inerrant word of God what his blueprint is. All right. There's different ways that can operate within families and within churches. And and it's going to look a little different in each context, but he's got the blueprints. He's given us the blueprints. And when we seek to operate outside of that saying, I'm not really worried about the blueprints. Let me talk about my experience. You know, let me talk about the way my car should work. It's like, well, there's different cars. I've designed them. There's different genders. I've designed them with unique roles and with unique distinctions and with unique glory to reflect my glory, to reflect my image. And, and just trying to trying to shift our thinking into thinking, look, this isn't God standing back as a totalitarian regime leader saying, you can't do that, you can't do that, and I'm just arbitrary in what I'm doing. If we believe that God designed it, and he designed it good, right, he designed it for his glory and for our good, and because he loves us, then the most loving, the best thing for us is when we operate the way God designed us to operate. Right? It's not going to ultimately be something where we're like, I just got to grin and bear it. Right, This is miserable, but I've got to do what God is commanding me to do. If you understand God as a loving God, as, as one who seeks our best, as one who wants to reveal himself to us, then you look at this gift he's given us in gender and you say, okay, so maybe it's my thinking that's off. You know, Maybe it's my history. Maybe it's my sin baggage. Maybe it's whatever my experiences are. Um, and those reflect. I mean, those affect how we look at things. They do, and they're real. And there's real experience. In there, and there's there's broken families, and there's single parents, and, and These are all hard realities of living in a sinful, broken world. And yet, God says, "Like I have given you this good gift. I've given you this model. I love you, and I want you to walk in that." And I just want people to consider for themselves this idea that if you trust God with your future, if you trust God with your family, if you trust him with your kids, if you trust him, you can trust him with your gender. He didn't do it by accident. He yeah. did it on purpose and he loves you. Mm-hmm. And that's a good gift.
0: Well, and it was, I I know I did personally, and my prayer is that those listening and those who will be listening um, hear your heart. And, and what God's word was saying is that it just ultimately comes down to respect and appreciate God's design. Yeah. But without the relationship with Christ, yeah. it's hard to have that heart change. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I, I really wanted to stress that point, especially at the end. I mean, we can feel at times, I think, in the church, like we have to be culture warriors where we have to go out and we have to fix the culture. And let's be honest, our culture is really confused about gender right now. Oh, yeah. Like this whole topic is a flashpoint for a deeper rebellion against God that's true in our culture. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes as believers, we feel like we've got to go out and we've got to fix it because we see that something isn't aligned with Genesis 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. There is a rebellion against what God designed the world to be. But there's always been a rebellion against what God designed the world right. to be. Ever since Genesis three, that's been the thing, right? right? God designed Adam and Eve to live in right relationship with him and right relationship right. with each other. Well, Genesis three comes along. They're not living in right relationship with God. They're not living in right relationship to each other. They're the fight and they're not in right relationship to creation either, right. you know, as a result of all that. And so like trying to remind, remind ourselves that like, what's the solution to that in scripture? Scripture offers Christ as the solution to broken homes and broken churches and broken marriages and all of that, Christ is the model for what this should look like. And Christ's relationship with the Father is the model for what that should look like. And so ultimately when it comes to some of these things that seem so foreign to us when we have grown up in this culture, they're like, that seems so domineering. That seems so offensive. That seems so, whatever the case might be, the the ultimate standard is, do you know the God who created you? do you know christ's love for you represented in what he came to do and to die on the earth i mean the whole fundamental issue of first corinthians is this issue of like am i going to defend my self-expression you know my ministry and my church and my family and my whatever am i going to hold that so tightly or am i going to be about god's glory am i going to be about other things yeah you know am i going to be about other people that sort of idea and that's exactly what Christ did for us. Mm-hmm. You know. So Christ is the model there. And if, if you didn't have a good experience with a father, didn't have a good experience with an authority figure, you're looking to Christ as the example of what that should look like. And if you know Christ and you know his love for you, you can trust him yeah. with the way he's designed you to function. Mm-hmm. You can. He, he's not some capricious God in heaven waiting to smite people. Like that's not. That's, I mean, I'm not going to downplay the the wrath and justice of God. That's not my Absolutely. point. But like, right. that's not Jesus's point here. And if if you want to trust Him with who He's created you to be, you need to know Him, mm-hmm. because once you know Him, you can trust Him with your future. You yep. can trust Him with your um, emotions. You can trust Him with the role He's given. You can trust Him with your body. You can trust Him with anything mm-hmm. and if he'll you know guide Him. You. Exactly. Open up exactly. Up the word. That's it. That's it. Yeah.
0: So what, where are we headed? What do we What do we need to do to prepare?
1: Okay, this is another one. A lot of people know the one that comes right before it, right, because the whole gender thing and the debates over that. A lot of people that, if you've been in the church any length of time, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34 read in light of the section in the middle that addresses communion. This is mm-hmm. the the That's sample right. text We're related right to, okay. you know, I giving to you what I first heard from Christ that in the 90s was betrayed, you know, and taking the bread and the cup, and, and it's a communion text. But at times we have a tendency to forget that it is the communion text sandwiched in between two reproofs on how the church is taking communion. Um, he's addressing the way that they're taking communion in an unworthy way. They're taking communion without considering, shockingly, First Corinthians, any of the other people in the church. Interesting. Right? So what you've got is you've got, um, we'll go into this more on Sunday, but you've got the rich people showing up early because they've got the time and they're bringing the nice food and they're going to eat the nice food. And then you've got the slaves who get off later. They're coming. There's no food left. Mm-hmm. But the rich people are already drunk because they've been partying. And, and you know, he's right. like, okay, you see how this self-expression, self, yeah. self-centered focus is manifesting in your – and the irony is, I mean, Jude 12 refers to this communion meal as a love feast. And that would have been a terminology that would have been very common to the early church. So he's like, so this thing that's supposed to manifest your love and self-sacrifice and it's kind of like a potluck where everybody brings their own yeah. food sort of a thing. And we all just share in that reality. They're supposed to manifest that sort of interdependence, that sort of love for one another. And it's not. Instead, you're just clicking up <laughs> and you're doing whatever you want. And some of you are drunk and others you are starving. And like right. this inconsistency is ridiculous. It's supposed to be communion, guys. You know, it's together. supposed to be. So, so yeah, I've tentatively yeah. titled the message, Putting the Community Back in Communion. Oh, I like it. Because okay. that's the idea. Like, yeah. he's, he's addressing that subject. And so I, I love the text because we're going to focus the whole Sunday morning around communion. We're going to teach a little earlier in the service. Then we're going to spend some time in reflection, considering what we've heard. We're going to take to communion together as a body. I think it's going to be a really good Sunday together. Um, I would encourage our listeners, uh, go ahead and read that text in advance. You know, First Corinthians 11, 17-34, or the parallel text that we're going to read at the beginning of the service is is from Luke, um, his his description of the the Last Supper with Jesus, right? Luke 22 verses 7 through 23 would be a a great reminder, a good thing to read um, in anticipation of that. The other place that might seem a little bit strange that that would be worth some self-reflection for people to consider is actually from Matthew 5. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I find it really, really intriguing, the parallels that we see here to kind of, Paul's encouragement in 1 Corinthians. Hmm. Jesus is addressing the issue of anger, right? And he said, you've heard it said to those of old that you should not murder. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. We're typical of that teaching of Jesus. And then he goes on. So if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before going to the altar. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay. Communion is not a sacrifice. It's not the altar. Like we get that idea, but you see the same sort of idea that Matthew is describing here of Jesus is teaching that, like, look to to offer this up to have this personal moment with God. Right? This this idea of giving this sacrifice to God while you're harboring this resentment against your brother because you're angry and been fighting with each other. There's something inherently inconsistent about that. So he said, so instead, go resolve it with your brother get things kind of square on that level, and then take your altar to God, right? Or, or take your sacrifice to God. That's very similar to kind of Paul's encouragement here. He's like, take, take some time, examine yourselves. Like, is there something going on? Are you, are you eating disregarding the body? Are you eating, ignoring the other people in the church? Are you eating, um, just not worried about the issues going on between the two of you? Um, instead, resolve that, then come to the Lord and... And, and he talks about celebrating the Lord's Supper in First Corinthians as well.
0: It sounds like it's not going to be about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm fairly sure I have written at the top of my page right now for my notes, communion isn't about you. Yeah, like, that's
0: what I'm hearing.
1: That's a part of it. All
0: yeah. right. Well, thank you. We will sit down next week.
1: My pleasure. I'll be looking forward to it.
0: Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians one nine: God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap.